Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Welcome back to another episode of Revolution Recap, coming to you after quite the the game between the New England Revolution and the Los Angeles Galaxy on Saturday. Um, as the Revolution, in front of a crowd of 36,000, the biggest of the season uh, for the Revs, um, who were, I think, I assume many of them were there to see Zlatan Ibrahimovic, who actually did not travel for the game, of which we were not made aware until shortly before kickoff. Um, but they did see a very entertaining match in which Christian Pania of the Revolution was red carded in the 23rd minute, leaving the Revolution down a man. Um, but this actually seemed to bring the Revolution to life as Diego Fagundes just five minutes later put the Revolution ahead. Um, the Galaxy equalized sort of against the run of play in the 38th minute through Chris Pontius. Um, and then Caicedo put the Revolution back ahead before halftime in the 45th minute. And then the Revolution seemed to be in control in the second half again, despite being down a man. Um, only in the 85th minute for Ashley Cole of the Galaxy to get a red card on his second yellow card. So the Revolution were then 10v10. Um, but they actually seemed to perform worse when they were on level footing at that point, and then we saw the Galaxy score two goals in the second minute of stoppage time and the third minute of stoppage time through Dave Romney and Chris Pontius with the second of the night uh, to end up losing this game 3-2 to two as the Galaxy took all three points um, just when it seemed like the Revolution were about to get home. Uh, we're about to take three points from this important home game against the Los Angeles Galaxy. I'm Sean Donahue, joined today by Greg Johnstone. Uh, the first thing I want to talk about is the Christian Pania red card because that kind of dictated how this game was going to play out in the, in the 23rd minute. Uh, he was fouled and lashed out um, with, a, with a kick uh, after a hard foul. And, you know, the one thing I will say about Pania is he takes a, takes a beating. And the type of player that he is in MLS, uh, creative guys, that's often the case. Um, but to me, no real excuse for him to, to kick out like that uh, in that situation. I saw some people saying that maybe it should have been a yellow card. Um, yeah, maybe it wasn't the most violent kick I've ever seen. But anytime you do something like that, I think you're asking to be red carded um, and cooler heads need to prevail in a situation like that because Christian Panilla is really important to the revolution. So that, to me, was disappointing and also, to me, was a clear red card. Greg, did you see it any differently? No, and I agree with everything you said. I think it's a clear red card. I don't think you can kick uh, kick a player while you're on the ground spikes up like that. So uh, I think it's a clear red card. I think it was well-deserved. Um, I, I don't think we've seen him lash out like that so far this season, so I thought it was a little bit uh, uncharacteristic for him. Um, the one thing I will say, though, that I think is a legitimate gripe is that yesterday's game was extremely physical. Uh, and, and really, really early on in the game, it seemed like the Galaxy were kind of out to hack a number of the Revolution players. I, I forget who it was. I should have written it down. But uh, someone in the, the opening minutes, there's a clear yellow card. And the referee kind of talked to him and, and didn't give a yellow. But it, it seemed very malicious. And it just seemed throughout the game, I think Perry Kitchen uh, basically just shoulder tackled Caicedo towards the end of the game, too. And there was no yellow card. So I think the refereeing was a bit inconsistent. And I think the referee kind of lost control of the game really early. Uh, and I think Caicedo's uh, frustration was kind of a mix of uh, it, it probably was the a mix of the physical level of play and just from the fact that the Galaxy were taking shots at the Revolution early. It's not an excuse for why uh, you know it, it's still a red card and it was still well deserved. And I'm not trying to make excuses for him, but I did think the refereeing yesterday was poor, and I think the referee kind of lost control of the game uh, really, really early on. Yeah, I agree with you on that, and you mentioned a good point with Perry Kitchen because that was something I wanted to bring up too, is I thought he certainly deserved to get a second yellow card and be sent off 
um, for that play that you're talking about. Uh, and Ashley Cole um, committed two two fouls in the 85th minute that I thought were, were good enough to get him a second yellow card before he finally did. Uh, so, yeah, it was a very physical game. I don't think the referee did a good enough, good enough job controlling it. Uh, but, it, you know, in the 23rd minute, you got to be smarter than that. Uh, no, Pena did there because anytime you, you you lash out at a guy when you're fouled, as he did with with Alison Greeny, uh, you're asking for the referee to send you off. So it, it was disappointing to see that. Uh, great to see how the Revolution responded. Um, but now that we've discussed the red card and, and the physicality of this game, um, I think there's a lot you can take away from this one. What, what was your main takeaway from this uh, disappointing loss from the Revolution after uh, what was a you know pretty solid performance with ten men for most of the game? Yeah, and and. I mean, there's a lot to kind of dig into, and I'm sure we're going to get into all of it. But my kind of takeaway is that this is the new summer slump. I think as Revolution fans, we're kind of used to a big losing streak in the the middle of summer. And uh, it's a little bit different this year. But looking at the schedule, it's hard not to look at the past five games and look at all the missed points. Um, Last five games, 1-1 draw at Chicago, 1-1 draw at San Jose. Both of those could have been wins, so those are two points each. Uh, We did win against D.C. United kind of unconvincingly. Uh, a 0-0 draw with Seattle at home, and then dropping all three points to L.A. That is a total of six points over five games. And really, if this team wants to make the playoffs, these are games they're going to look back on and kind of realize these are the games that we needed to win uh, and take a full three points to, you know, secure our spot in the playoffs. I still think a lot of teams could make a second half run. Uh, I think Chicago is kind of dangerous. I'm still not ruling out TFC uh, making a second half push. I know they're kind of down in the standings. Um, I, I think Diego Fagunda has actually made a comment last night saying that these are the types of games that you look back on at the end of the year and, you, you know, <laughs> you kind of shake your head at. So um, to have the LA Galaxy at home without Zlatan, uh, Ashley Cole had taken a red card and it kind of felt like that was it. The Galaxy's frustration was kind of building over. Um, so they, it was 10 on 10. Uh, the Revs just had to see out the game and then, you know, in the blink of an eye, it's all gone. Uh, it really took away from a pretty strong offensive performance down a man. And um, I think it's a game that might actually end up being a bit of a backbreaker. Um, you do so much positive and you still come away with nothing. Uh, I, I wouldn't be surprised if there's a lot of negative momentum carrying into uh, the midweek game against Minnesota now. Yeah, and, and the, the negative momentum from the for- performance and all the suspensions with De La Mea um, being out, Caicedo being out, and, and Pania being out for yellow card accumulation for the first two and the red card for Pania. So it's going to be uh, a difficult game on short rest going into Minnesota. We can talk more about that later, but... Um, they really left themselves in a bad spot, losing points here, and then putting themselves in a difficult situation uh, against a, a Minnesota team that's not very good, uh, but it's never easy to go on the road. But one thing I did want to ask you before we, um, not to digress too much from, from the game, uh, you mentioned some of the teams that the, the Revolution uh, could get caught by. Um, one that I, I don't think we can write off yet either is DC United, who have now opened up their new stadium. Uh, it was an interesting stat that uh, Carl Sutherland actually posted um, over the weekend, looking at teams um, in the Eastern Conference and what their projected points would be based on points per game at home and points per game on the road. And D.C. United um, has only played three home games, um, one, two, and tied one. If they kept up that pace, uh, they would actually finish ahead of the Revolution, um, all things considered. So I think they're a team that's probably too soon uh, to write off as well. And to kind of justify that statement, too, I mean, you you think D.C. only has 14 points through 15 games. You you think they're kind of far down there, but uh, their goal differential is only minus four, which is 
above Chicago, Orlando, and Toronto, who are all ahead of them in the in the standings. And it's above Montreal, who is at minus nine, and they're currently in the sixth seed. So uh, there is some talent on D.C. Uh, I don't think there's any disputing that. And with the addition of Wayne Rooney, that might be a totally different team going into the second half of the season. So uh, I'm not – I don't think D.C. will catch up. I think they're a little bit too far. Um Whereas I, I know that's kind of hypocritical because I just said a second ago that I think Toronto might catch up. I think Toronto is a much stronger team than D.C., but uh, I, I think uh, D.C. United is uh, a little bit too far away, I think, to catch up to the sixth seed. But I'm, I would not be shocked if they move up and end up in eighth, ninth place, seventh place. Uh, it's not out of the picture to say that. Yeah, and, and back to the game and, and your takeaway there. Um, the one thing I did want to ask you, because it was interesting after the game, um, Brad Friedel talked about, you know, this game, there, w- there weren't really systematic failures by the Revolution. There was a lot of, you know, individual failures. And th- I think to him, it seems like that's less troubling um, than systematic failures. And those are things you can work on. But, you know, what is this game 19 now? Um, these are veteran players out there, multiple of them making individual mental mistakes. Is that something that, you know, you'd be concerned about at this point of the season to, to see, you know, guys with the experience level of, of Dielna, Annie Baba? Um, making mistakes like they made, you know, mental mistakes or systematic mistakes. Um, yes, they're individual, uh, but is that something that you'd be concerned about that, you know, 19 games in that these guys are, are making these mistakes in such a key spot? Yeah, I, I'd say so. Um, I, I think yesterday I kind of give them a little bit of a pass. I don't want to say I give them a pass, but I sympathize too that they were a man down. I truly think if it was 11-11, I think the Revolution kind of win that game easily. Even down a man, you couldn't tell that they were down a man. They seemed to be moving the ball pretty well, and LA didn't seem to capitalize at all. Um, so they did make some mistakes at the end. I think there might have been some tired legs, and so I give them the benefit of the doubt a little bit. But you're absolutely right. We're in midseason form. Uh, we shouldn't be seeing these mistakes, and it kind of comes down to you know if you want to be an MLS playoff team, if you want to be in a, a contender for the MLS Cup. Uh, you can't have these types of mistakes that you're making. And I'm sure we're going to get into the stoppage time goals later, Sean. Uh, but, you know, the, the stoppage time was atrocious. You, they had three points right in their hand and they let go of it just from uh, kind of some lazy play and some sloppy play at the worst possible time. So you certainly don't want to see this in April. And the fact that we're seeing it in July, um, I, I think it might speak to the fact that I wouldn't be shocked if the revolution fall out of playoff contention pretty soon. I, I hate to say that, but seeing how they lost yesterday you have to think in your head this isn't a playoff team well and i agree and i wouldn't be dismissive of those individual mistakes as I, as you know and i don't want to be too harsh on on frito's comments cuz maybe they came off wrong but it seemed to me like it was a bit dismissive of you know the individual mistakes um but you look back a couple games to the dc united game and yes they won that but you know you still saw some mental errors and individual mistakes from these experienced players um, you know, which to me is very troubling. I think that was a big problem that you had last year as well. So yeah, maybe they're not systemic failures. And uh, by saying that, maybe you know, Friedel is you know, not putting any really blame on himself, uh, putting blame on the individuals when you think about it. Uh, but yeah, it's, it's troubling because you know, DC United uh, at the time was, a, was struggling. Uh, that was disappointing that, you know, it was great they got three points, but it was disappointing to see their defense you know, struggle a bit against that offense, which is not, you know, hadn't been one of the betters in the league, changing now a bit now that they have Wayne Rooney. Um, but again, what we saw in this game, uh, the epic collapse, you know, those mental mistakes you've seen throughout the season, I'd say, and I think that is something that you can't just write off. Um, but I, I, let's jump into those goals. And the the first one, of course, coming off of a a set piece in which, uh, just got beat at the, at the far post. He, you know, swung his leg out to try to kick it away. 
um, and was beat by by a header by a guy who just seemed to want the ball more. Um, is it is it harsh to put pretty much all the blame on that one on Dielma? I mean, that was his man. I mean, it, it's it's hard not to place the blame on Dielna when, when you lose a guy at the back post like that. Uh, they're you know, blamed squarely on him, I'd say. Um, I think it was a savable shot. I think Turner could have saved it, uh, but I don't necessarily blame him for not making the save. Um, it, it just snuck by on the near post. I think it's just kind of a kind of an unlucky beat for him. But yeah, I mean, if, if you're your team captain, who you know, I think headers are kind of one of his strong points too. Uh, you know, he's naturally a center back. I, I feel like losing a guy on the back post is uh, just kind of a bit of a sloppy play. Don't you agree? Yeah, it was it was one of those where if he had you know, put in full effort to you know, put his body in the way and, and get get in the shot and I mean get to the the cross and get rid of it, he could have done it. But he just you know to me it was it was lazy. He stuck his leg out and yeah, I'm sure at that point in the game when you've been playing down a man and deep in a stoppage time, you're probably tired. And I, I, I you know I can I can make excuses for him, but um, especially from your captain, you want to see the effort there you know all the way through the game to to make the stop there because I think that was an easily preventable goal. I think all three goals. Were easily preventable. We can talk about the earlier, the, the first one later, um, but the, the last one, uh, I was just shocked to see that ball go through Annie Baba's legs, and you know, maybe it was tired legs, but uh, I actually didn't think the defense had the busiest night um, throughout. So I, I'm I'm not sure that the excuse, particularly for the center backs, is there as much as it might be for some other players. Um, mm-hmm. But w- w- what did you see on that last goal? So, yeah, I, I mean, Annie Baba. His reaction time on that one wasn't great. Uh, I think that ball just kind of slipped through his legs, and he was expecting his man that he was covering to to carry that ball, and he was totally just caught off guard when he it went right through his legs. But um, I, I noticed something when I was watching the game this afternoon was that uh, if you watch that replay of Zahibo, that play breaks down because there's a guy where he is on his side of the field that kind of runs through, and that kind of disrupts Anibaba, and Anibaba and Dielna have to kind of shift right, and they never kind of make up that space. If you watch Zahibo and, and where he's going, he's walking back at points, he's kind of jogging, and <laughs> you need to get back on that play. Uh, the Galaxy had possession, and they were working it down the wing, and it kind of looked like Zahibo was kind of expecting a turnover and, and kind of expecting to go the other way, and when you watch the guy make the run uh, into the box and kind of get possessions, he just so far behind. Uh, he, he's got to get back and he's got to kind of provide that extra outlet, uh, that extra uh, bit of security and cover that space. Um, Cause Caicedo was all over the field and uh, all game. And it just not really, just not a good time to, to kind of take off a play. I'd say so. Uh, I think Zahibo, no one's really talking about Zahibo that I've seen online or on Twitter. I think Zahibo kind of gave up on that play a little bit. I think Annie Baba, as you said, kind of made a mental gaffe in that one. He, he should have stopped easily. Um, Dielna's getting a lot of flack for that one, which again, it, it, it was kind of his man, but they had to shift at the last kind of possible moment and he just never kind of made up the play. So he, he gets a little bit of blame too, but I think Annie Baba deserves the most blame on that play. Uh, and I think uh, Zahibo could have used a little bit more effort. You kind of expect a little bit more from your MLS all-star, don't you, Sean? Yeah, that's a, that's a, a great point. And I honestly think, you know, going back and watching the replay on the first goal, um, that he perhaps, I mean, I don't, I don't blame him for that goal, but if you look, he's also slow getting back with his man there. It seems like he has a man run by him. Um, it's not who the ball ends up with. Uh, but to some extent, you talked about Diama getting a lot, of, a lot of the blame for um, you know, the goals last night. I think I saw him get some blame for the first goal as well. Uh, and on that one, you know, he gets dragged into the box and, and tries to cover. 
Um, you know, there's there's three forwards on the Galaxy in the box to three Revolution defenders because Zahibo is, you know, behind the play and doesn't catch up. So I, I think Dionla's kind of needed there uh, on that play, too. So, uh, you know, you, you make an excellent point. I haven't seen much slack given to Zahibo in this one. Um, but, you know, it's interesting because we've been questioning a lot why we hadn't seen much of Zahibo earlier in the season after, you know, some good play and uh, it seemed like he was moved to the bench and not kind of in the doghouse for, um, for Brad Friedel. Uh, but in this game in particular, I, I'm wondering if you know the effort and to, to keep up with his man and, and track back uh, is maybe why we hadn't been seeing as much of him lately. Do you, do you think that could be you know, the reason that MLS All Star, as you say, Wilfred Zahibo, uh hadn't been playing as much uh, lately until this game? Well, that and it's also because they have such depth at defensive midfield. I mean, outside of Caicedo, they're really no one's really taken over that other spot. I think they've rotated in Zahibo and Caldwell, and they, they play Kellen Rowe kind of in that central midfield role too. So um, I, I don't think it's a matter of Zahibo's talent. I think he's very talented. Uh, but there are times where he seems to be jogging back. And, you know, I think as, as if you're a defensive midfielder, uh, you kind of need to get back and kind of fill the spaces in obvious defensive situations like they did yesterday. Um, we kind of talked about the first goal too. I just want to touch on that too because a lot of people are blaming Dielna because that goal cam- came from his side of the field. But uh, you're right. There's a there's a man. If you watch that replay, there's a Galaxy forward who's in the box, and Dielna has to go take him. You can actually see Matt Turner pointing at the forward, uh, and Dielna's kind of sliding in to, to guard that player. Uh, and we kind of speculated before we started recording, Sean, that uh, if Christian Pena is still in the game, maybe Christian Pena is tracking back and guarding that guy because that's the empty side of the field where uh, the Revs are missing the player. So uh, I'm not sure who was covering or who was responsible for Chris Pontius on that play, but I don't place any blame on uh, Dielna. I think Dielna had to kind of get in and, and make sure they had enough defenders in the box for the forwards that were down there. And, you know, you got to just kind of tip your cap to Pontius for, for, for that sweet volley. Uh, there's not much you can do about that one. Yeah, if you're going to try to blame somebody on it, I think you know maybe you have to put a little bit of blame on Diego Fagundes because it seemed like the assignment there, and you know in general, Fagundes was moved out wide a bit when uh, Pania got the, the red card. It seemed like Friedel's decision was to, to play with Fagundes on the left at that point. Um, so I guess, in a sense, it was probably his man, uh, and he was really nowhere to be found on, on that play. Um, I, you know, without, without seeing the full field and, and going back in, in hindsight to see what happened there, you know, perhaps he was a bit at fault for not tracking back on that one, but it, it's a tough ask for a guy like Fugundes uh, yeah, it, to, it's, to be there. It's difficult to figure out whose assignment that was. And I actually went back and looked at the heat map for Fagundes. And even though he, he did kind of drift left a lot, he still was playing kind of a central role. So I'm, I, I don't know exactly where he was on the field or all that. But being down 10 men, I think that's just a situation where you're, you're just going to have an open guy from time to time. And the, the, the Galaxy just exploited it. I, I think that's just something you can't do a whole lot about. Uh, on the flip side, the uh, 10-man revolution seemed to have an open guy <laughs> a lot of the time, um, which doesn't speak too well for the, the Galaxy's defense. Uh, but you look at the, the first half stats um, for this one, and the revolution actually outshot the Galaxy 8-3, to uh, which is kind of shocking for a team that for a full you know 50% of that half w- was down a man. Uh, and it's as much of an indictment on the Galaxy as anything. That I, I just couldn't believe. And, you know, we've seen it this season, and, you know, you hear about the Galaxy blowing two goal leads, and they, they blew a, two goal leads, and I believe two of their last three games before this. Um, that defense is, is horrible. So with the star power that the Galaxy have, uh, watching this game kind of made me understand why they've had, had the struggles they've had despite having, you know, Ibrahimovic, despite having the Dos Santos brothers, despite having Ashley Cole, who um, was probably their best defender on the night. 
uh, that was kind of shocking to me. Um, But I did want to go to my takeaway and kind of spin this positive in in some sense because there's certainly plenty of negatives to take from this one. Uh, And that for me was just seeing how the revolution reacted to that red card because, uh, you know, last year, I can't remember how many red cards the revolution had, but it was a lot down the stretch. And it just seemed like every time they got a red card, you knew that game was over and they, and they folded up and died. And, you know, based on what we saw last year, I kind of was expecting to see that in this game uh, when Pania got that red card. Um, So it was nice to see the revolution actually really fight back in this one uh, play really well, and as I you know pointed out with that that shot stat in the first half in particular, you know outplay the galaxy while down a man. Uh, that was something you didn't see much under Jay Heaps towards the end of his tenure, certainly, um, and I think was part of the reason why you know Jay Heaps had to go. Is you know it just seemed like the team lost that fight when they got, had any sort of controversy or any sort of difficult situation. So it was nice to see that under Brad Friedel that they you know they would fight back from uh, that red card and, and went on to take the lead. Uh, it was all for naught in the end, but. That, at least to me, was one positive the Revolution could take from this. Yeah, and I agree. And and I think you can expand that first half stat, too. They outshot uh, the Galaxy throughout the game. Uh, I had the stat up a second ago. Yeah, 16 Six, to 10. 16 to 10. And then I had the stat from open play was 15 to 8. So they, they did have a lot of good chances. They had a lot of chemistry. I was really impressed with Caicedo, uh, where he kind of stepped up and he, he kind of provided some value from an offensive role, which we see here and there. I think his main value is on defense, and that, that's kind of his main role. But with Pania out, he really stepped up, and he, he really became kind of an offensive threat. Uh, he really connected well with Fagundes on that uh, first goal. Uh, they they were really working the one twos really really well. You can tell they re- really trained on them this week, and uh, they really exploited the Galaxy's defense there. So um, really really Im- impressive performance, I would say. Um, I thought Teal Bunbury had a pretty good game. It seemed like in the first half he kind of had some frustrating chances where maybe they were getting like a, a fast break that was a little too slow or a pass that was just a little bit far off. But um, I thought we probably won't go into it too much because it didn't go in. But uh, his, his tap from was it Agadello or by I forget who crossed it to him but he got that touch that glanced off the post that was a beautiful play uh so the revs scored two pretty sweet goals uh, had a really had a couple other really nice chances um the revs could have put this game away even down a man um and I, I, the offense is really really clicking uh, and another thing too that did not happen in the jay heaps era that i think deserves mentioning and deserves a lot of credit andrew farrell can pass now I, I, he's pretty good. That was a really nice cross. I, that I was, think that was we, the best cross we, I've ever seen from. <laughs> we we have kind of got on him for not being a good offensive player, and it's too bad Brian is not here because Brian always says that Andrew Farrell should not go past the halfway line. A- Andrew Farrell can cross a ball now, so you know I, I think he's really improved his uh, that side of his game and and that aspect of his game. So uh, the Revolution just feel like a much more dangerous team compared to last year, even though last year they had Lee Win and you know what I mean they've lost Lee Win and it seems like they're just. Uh, a lot more fluid and a lot more dangerous, and it's really fun to see. Yeah, we we've certainly talked a lot about Andrew Farrell, you know, offense over the years and, and his struggles there, and that was a great point because I I think one thing that we could you know would probably all agree on was that his offense didn't really develop um, under Jay Heaps, so it's it's been a lot better in this game, and I didn't even notice the stat till just now, but Andrew Farrell actually was credited with four chances created in this match, which is the most of anybody on the Revolution and tied for the most of anybody in the game. Um, I don't recall ever seeing a game in which Andrew Farrell came close to having four chances created, so that was impressive from him. Uh, but the other guy that I, I wanted to, to talk about was Juan Aguadello, um, who actually led the Revolution with 81 touches, 
and I thought had a, a really phenomenal game. I think he ran out of gas a bit towards the end when, when that Brandon Bicep happened. Um, but, you know, he's been in and out of the lineup this season, coming off the bench a lot. Uh, and I thought his play was, was phenomenal on this one, particularly in the first half. Um, he had, you know, had some great chances to score as well, creating his own shots and, and setting up teammates. Uh, for me, this was a, a huge performance from Aguadelo that should earn him more minutes going forward. And I asked Brad Friedel about him after the game, and he was clearly very, very impressed with his play as well. Um, so I, I think he's a guy that has definitely um, helped solidify his spot in the starting lineup, certainly over, over Christian Namath at that um, right, right mid, mid spot. Uh, so for me, that's another important takeaway for the Revolution is that Aguadelo um, played really well in this game. And you certainly can't fault, fault him for the collapse because he wasn't on the field. Yeah, and another thing, too, is that this is the first time we've seen him get significant minutes since April. He's been used pretty much as a bench player uh, since with the reemergence of Christian Nimeth. So uh, I'm also curious, too, because I remember Nimeth was one of the two substitutions that came off uh, in the 3-2 DC United game where Friedel was upset about the energy levels and stuff like that. So uh, I think Agadello kind of being out there when they're down a man, uh, really contributing to the offense um, and kind of showing what he's got in limited time. Uh, this was actually his longest outing of the season. And uh, I know naturally, I think I, I think he's a better striker or up top as opposed to playing that kind of right wing position. But uh, he seemed to have played very, very well. And I, I certainly think he's going to be getting some starts going forward. Uh, it's kind of a shame because we've, we've talked about Christian Namath kind of reemerging and uh, kind of earning his spot back in the lineup. But uh, Agadol played really, really well last night and created a lot of chances. So uh, I think you're absolutely right. He deserves a lot of praise for his performance yesterday. It kind of goes under the radar because he didn't get a goal or an assist, but uh, he certainly had some re- really positive effects on the game. Yeah, and it was. I'm just impressed that he had 81 touches too, because this is an offense that has been run largely through Diego Fagundes and you know Pania. Um, he had 30 more touches, or 30, or 29 more touches, I should say, than Diego Fagundes. Um, and you know, part of that was dictated by what we said earlier, which is Fagundes had to go wide a bit uh, to cover for Pania. But you know, it, it was just that he was. It's great to see that him him willing to assert himself that way and be that involved in the offense and. Um, I'm curious if, if this will lead to him, or interested to say to see if it, this will lead to him uh, continuing to perform well down the stretch. Because the one thing with him um, throughout his career in New England, particularly recently, is the, the lack of consistency, and you know, part of that's been due to health. Uh, but that'll be interesting to watch because if they can get more out of him on the right, that would be huge for this team. Now, Sean, let me ask you this, and I, I might be jumping ahead because I know we kind of look forward to the next game uh, <laughs> towards the end of the show, but with Christian Pania out, how do you see them lining up? Do you think they're going to put Agadello on the left maybe, or how, how do you think they're going to compensate for Pania being out? Because I don't think we've had a situation where Pania's been out on the left side this season, have we? I, he started I, every game to my knowledge. Yeah, I'm trying to think. I don't remember um, him missing a game. I'm going to check that quickly, but um, I guess you have, you know, one of three options of what you can do. Well, you know, someone's got to play on the left, but you also have to figure out who's stepping into the lineup. Is it going to be Namath? Is it going to be Kellen Rowe? Is it going to be Brandon Bay? Um, it could be any of them. Uh, you know, would they push Fagundes to the left and, and start Hiravu? I don't think that's going to happen, but, you know, if you believe the uh, the comments from earlier in the season of, of how high Brad Friedel is on Hiravu as the number 10, maybe that's a possibility. Um, you know, so I, I just don't know. Uh, my guess is that We'll see Kellen Rowe go to the right and maybe see Juan Aguadelo on the left. I, f- I feel like Aguadelo is a guy that you know, can cut inside and, and create chances. Um, he's not out there so much for his you know, crossing ability, which makes him, I, I think, more flexible on, on switching from, from one side to the other. 
Um, so if I if I had to guess, I think it will be Aguadelo on the left, and then maybe Rowe on the right. Uh, slightly less chance of Namath, and then I wouldn't be completely shocked if Brandon Bay, but he'd probably be my my third choice there. Uh, what's your thoughts? I I, I don't know. I, I think I'm kind of looking at this right now, and we I hadn't really thought about this before until the the question kind of popped in my head just now. But yeah, I, I think Kellen Rowe because you can kind of play him all over the field. I think he's going to be inserted in some way. I think maybe the I, I don't think they will do this, but I think putting Rowe in the middle and putting Fagundes on the left kind of makes sense, but I think they want to keep Fagundes as the 10. So uh, I think maybe they'll put Kellen Rowe on the left side. I don't know if that would be a – I don't know how well that would work. I think he, he – everyone that I, I think they're going to have to move over to the left, everyone I think uh, that is a possibility is I think plays stronger on the right side of the field. So I'm not sure who they'll move over to the left, but uh, my, my guess would be Agadello. Um I, well, I think and, I'd prefer him on the left as opposed to Kellen Rowe. And, and you are right that Panita has started every game this season, so it will be the first time they, they've had to deal with that. Um, and, you know, it, it wouldn't shock me under normal circumstances for them to maybe see you know, Gabriel Somi play further up the field in that spot to give him a shot. But, you know, I don't think they can do that now because, um, you know, with, with the De La Maya being suspended, they're either going to have to start him at center back, I mean, at left back, because, uh, you know, who else is there other than. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Samoya, who's I believe out on loan right now, still. So, uh, it's it, yeah, you gotta, their hands are tied a bit. You got to put Dielna in the center, unless you wanted to do Brandon By at left back and push Somi up. But I don't think you want to do. I think that that's too radical of a change. I think it, it might be safer just to kind of keep Somi on that back line with Dielna, and uh, you know, it, it's it's less of a shuffle just to do that as opposed to pushing up Somi where he hasn't played at all this season and and expect him to kind of fit perfectly with that offense. Yeah, and you wonder how much Frito's going to rotate, uh, given this is a Wednesday game and then they have a game coming up on Saturday. Um, but you look at the schedule, and on paper, this is the winnable game of the two, um, going against the Red Bulls, who have been very good this year. Yes, they've you know, just changed coaches, but um, that's a, a, a very good side that is very tough to beat on the road. So, um, you know, you don't want to, I don't think you go into this Minnesota game thinking you're going to, to bench a lot of guys. And, and save them for the New York game because you you know you need points and this Minnesota game is a lot you know, more favorable for getting points than the New York game I would say. And they already have forced rotation, three guys suspended. I think that's enough rotation in my mind. You're gonna have three guys that are suspended and well rested for that Saturday game, uh, not by choice. So I can't imagine he's gonna make any other radical changes uh, to the lineup. Very true. And, and one last thing I wanted to discuss about this game, as we talked about before we started the show, is the substitutions. Um, because, again, it's very difficult to play with 10 men for an extended period of time. And the Revolution did so from the 23rd minute, um, but didn't make their first substitution until the 86th minute. Um, and yes, they were playing well. Uh, and you know, yes, things did, fell apart after that sub was made. Uh, to a certain extent, but uh, were you surprised to see, you know, given the effort that this team put out there and, you know, a, a warm day with 10 men uh, that it took until the 86th minute for, for Brad Friedel to bring some fresh legs on? Yeah, and I, I was pretty surprised by that, too, just for that reason, that you're down a man, um, and it seemed like everything just kind of fell apart at the end, so maybe those subs were needed a little bit sooner. Um, I think it might have been a situation where he really trusted the 10 guys that were on the field, and they, they looked dangerous, and I think he might have wanted to keep them on to see if they could get that insurance goal. Um, at the end of the day, they conceded two goals after two subs came on. So, you know, the subs were out there, but I, I was surprised that it took 86 minutes to see a substitution. Um, it, it was a little questionable in my mind. Uh, I think Kellen Rowe should have been out there a lot sooner. 
uh, as opposed, you know, I think Kellen Rowe could have come on for one Agadello instead of Brandon by, but um, it, it is what it is. I think he really trusts his starters and I think he, there is a bit of a depth issue with the bench. And I, I don't think, I think Friedel is still trying to figure out who the subs are that he trusts that he can put into a late game and, and make something happen. I, I don't think he's found that answer yet. And that's why we see the subs coming on later and later in the season. It seems like. Yeah, it, it, it is interesting that um, he waited so long and it, it doesn't speak too well to how much he, he trusts the subs here. Um, but the other question I had, uh, you know, last year and the years prior, we'd see in a situation like this where the Revolution were late in the game, uh, Daigo Kobayashi would be the guy they'd bring on to kind of close it out. Um, when you have Scott Caldwell on your bench in a situation like this, doesn't he seem like the type of guy you might want to bring out there because he's, you know, someone that you know you can give the ball to and he's not going to turn it over and, and helps you maintain possession? Um, and he never even made it onto the field, let alone earlier in the match. Um, was it surprising that a guy like Scott Caldwell and given his attributes didn't see the field in this one? Uh, I wouldn't call it surprising just because, I mean, and I'm a big Scott Caldwell fan. I I think we kind of talked about the depth at uh, defensive midfield. Uh, I think there's just too many guys for too few spots. And uh, I, I, I mean, I just don't think he's a Brad Friedel favorite. So I wouldn't say I was surprised, but I agree with your analysis that I wouldn't have minded seeing Scott Caldwell kind of come on to uh, seal off this game. Uh, I think he certainly has a really good, gritty defensive presence that I I think late in the winding minutes uh, could have been used uh, and might have prevented one or two of those goals. I think if you bring on Scott Caldwell, maybe for Zahibo, who seemed a little bit winded and tired at the end of the game, uh, maybe Caldwell gets back on that play, for example. So uh, I, I, I can't really argue too much with any of the subs. I don't think any of them were too egregious. Uh, but yeah, I think Scott, in hindsight, 2020 Monday morning quarterbacking, uh, Scott Caldwell might have been the choice. Yeah, and, and one last thought in this game before we move on to you know, the, the Twitter questions that we got. And that's what I mentioned at the beginning of, of the show. Uh, 36,573 fans showed up to this one. Uh, biggest crowd of the season. Very good and boisterous crowd. It was you know exciting to see that many people at Gillette Stadium and a lot of them joining on the chance, and that was great. Um, but you know the elephant in the room is most of them were probably there because of Zlatan Ibrahimovic and to see him and... You know, throughout the week, people thought he was probably going to make the trip, and then it turns out he didn't make the trip, and they announced it last minute. Um, you know, Zlatan Ibrahimovic had played every game for the Galaxy since coming over, since making his debut. Uh, you know, is it is it disappointing to see him not make this trip? And do you understand the fans' frustration for for him not being there? You know, is it you know, some people called it an embarrassment that he didn't show up? What, what did you think about Ibrahimovic not playing in this game? And you know, we should note this is a Galaxy team that's outside of the playoff picture right now. They need points. Yeah, I, I mean, I think we know the kind of Terry Henry mentality of he doesn't want to, you don't want to play on the turf. I, I think that's really one of the downsides to the stadium issue where you have these superstars in MLS and they just don't want to play on turf. Um, I think they they knew well ahead of time too that Zlatan was not going to play. So I, I think it's a very unfortunate situation because I, I don't think they can come out and just announce on Wednesday for the fans that are going to come, but it certainly is a disappointment, and I think it kind of holds back expanding the sport in the region where you have casual fans who come out to see this world superstar, and then he's not even dressed for the game or he's not even available on the bench. Um, now, to, to the fans' credit, a lot of them stayed. They, it didn't seem like anyone was filing out early. They got a great game. Uh, it sucks that they got the ending that they got. It seemed like it, this was probably one of the biggest gut punches 
I mean, in a long time. Uh, I don't know about you, Sean. I, I was trying to think of a worse loss since uh, I started doing New England soccer today with you. And I, I think this is the worst <laughs> loss uh, that I can think of. So I think a lot of casual fans probably were leaving the the, part of the stadium feeling a little let down. But um, in terms of Zlatan, I, I, it is what it is. Uh, I think that's kind of speaks to the stadium issue that we talk about it seems like on a monthly basis and how they need a soccer stadium and they need a, a natural surface it, i think it just kind of holds back the game um and we, we already have enough problems with the uh the newspaper up there in boston kind of uh holding back the game in, in terms of the coverage it gets in the region uh, so um you know i, I think it was a uh, set up to be a great week uh, or a great game that could really expand the game and, and bring in some casual fans. And I think it, at the end of the day, it, it really did nothing to uh, keep those fans. Yeah. And the, the official word from the galaxy from uh, Adam Serrano, who was you know, the LA galaxy insider said that Zlatan was not on the trip due to quote turf and long travel. Um, yeah, yeah. It was more so turf. Yeah. Was, well, it, you can just say it was well, turf. Well, I have, I have, yeah. First of all, I have two, two things to say about that. You know, a, and this is something that Roderick McNeil, who, you know, if he's listening to New American Game, uh, does that does that show with me sometimes. He mentioned, uh, reminded me that you know, Zlatan just went to Moscow for the World Cup on his own accord um, by choice. So the whole travel excuse doesn't hold a lot of weight in my book. Um, so yeah, just admit it's the turf. Um, but it's also interesting to note that he did play in Portland on their turf. Um, so I, I don't know how I feel about that explanation. And again, the Galaxy needed points. They, they got him at the end of the day. But um, it's not like the Galaxy are in the midst of a terrible schedule. They were home last weekend. It's been a full week. And they don't have another game for another full week. Uh, that game is also on the East Coast in Philadelphia. Uh, yeah, there's long enough time between games where the Galaxy are probably going home and then coming back for that game. But, you know, are you, you going to not travel to East Coast games? I don't know. It, it just doesn't, I don't know. It leaves a bad taste in my mouth that, um, all these people were, were sold that this you know, Zlatan was going to be here, and then he wasn't here, and uh, the excuse. And, uh, you know, if there's ever a time when Zlatan could have played in New England and didn't have a busy schedule and didn't really have a great excuse, I think it was now. Uh, so, yeah, it, it's, it, it sucks that Gillette has turf, and it would be great if it had grass. Um, but it is a little bit disappointing to me that, that Zlatan didn't make this trip. Um, and, you know, I would have expected better from a guy of his stature and yes Thierry Henry never played on the on the turf except for in the playoffs but uh, I, I held out a little bit of hope that he'd play it so disappointed that he didn't and to your point about this being a you know, complete gut punch and one of the most you know awful disappointing collapses from the revolution you know we've seen a lot of them over the years but uh, the, the, the one thing I'll say here is it went from a situation in which this was you know perhaps a season changing win, a season defining win, um, to go in and get the full three points uh, after being down a man for most of the match to you know, one of the most devastating losses <laughs> that I've ever seen uh, out of the revolution. Um, you know, so who knows how they'll react to this on Wednesday, but that'll be very telling of, of what direction the season goes from here. Um, and with that, uh, let's get to the uh, Twitter questions. Greg, would you mind taking us through those? Yeah, sure. And actually, our first one kind of leads in perfectly. Uh, the, the the conversation we just had leads in perfectly to this first question. Uh, Lost Hope Legacy on Twitter asks, uh, the number of people who came out to see Zlatan was astonishing. Do you think this could possibly convince the Crafts to spend real money to get a true superstar? Well, we've seen it before for guys like David Beckham. You know, they should see that and realize that there's a lot of soccer fans in New England um, that, you know, 
they're perhaps they're not doing enough to draw fans to the stadium. Uh, Gillette Stadium with 36,000 fans is a, a lot better for soccer than Gillette Stadium with you know 15, 20,000 fans. Um, there's no question the atmosphere last night you could you could tell and um, that that weird vibe that player talks that players talk about when you when you go to Gillette and it's it's far from full. I don't think was there, uh, but. You know, if, if Beckham didn't convince them, if you know any of the other number of DPs that have come here didn't convince them um, that it's worth spending the money to, to get a big name like that, I, I don't know what will, and I don't think this will. Uh, and, you know, part of it is what we talked about earlier. Big stars like Zlatan, big stars like Thierry Henry, they don't want to play on turf. Uh, so that already makes it difficult for Crafty if he does want to go out and spend the money to, to attract somebody here. Uh, I think there's a lot of MLS markets out there that, you know, for reasons of having their own stadium, for reasons of playing on grass, um, you know, are more appealing than the Revolution if you were a big star thinking of coming to, to play in MLS. Would Zlatan Ibrahimovic have ever come to, you know, to Foxborough over Los Angeles? Um, for a lot of reasons, I think the answer is no. Yeah, and I agree with you. The one thing I, I will say which might play into the counter argument is that I, if I remember correctly, there was a bit of an attendance boost from Jermaine Jones. Um, when he came over, uh, you know, he, he was the not, maybe not the superstar on the U S men's national team, but he was a very visible member of the U S men's national team. He scored a goal. Uh, he, he was a face that the casual soccer fan might've recognized. And then suddenly he was in new England. So I, I think he did bring in some fans to the area. And then of course that led to the, uh, MLS cup run. And I, I think they did get a boost from that signing, um, in terms of, but, but you're, you're right. It, it's what super star, star are you going to convince to come over and play on the turf? Um, I don't think there's a big market for any international superstars. I don't think Giovinco or Zlatan is going to come over uh, and play in Foxborough. I, I just don't think it's a big enough soccer market to begin. Uh, I think the turf really turns off a lot of players that could opt to go elsewhere. Um, and I don't think that uh, just kind of the structure of the team. I, I think teams like uh, L.A. Uh, or one of the teams in New York or Atlanta, uh, I, you know, they're getting Seattle. They're getting big crowds. Uh, they kind of have a... Uh, I don't know how to say it, but uh, just seem their franchise seems to be in kind of a more prestigious spot than New England. So I, I think it'd be very hard to convince a superstar to come here unless they really open up their checkbooks. And I don't foresee that happening. I don't think they're going to double their payroll to bring in one player. Um, so I, I, I think it might open their eyes a little bit and say the potential for soccer is here. I, I have no doubt about that, but I don't know who they could bring in to tap that potential. And, uh, it's, I mean, it's very frustrating as, as a fan, uh, to see that there is this interest in soccer here and the revs just need to bring in the players to, uh, build a winning team and, uh, compete with the other top superstars and top teams in the league. Um, but I, I think the stadium issue and I think some other, uh, issues one of them being payroll it's just always going to hold the revolution back yeah and you mentioned jermaine jones obviously you know that was a good point he did well increasing attendance but the situation that brought him here was was certainly very unique with you know the allocation and him coming back from from u.s national team and the bizarre lottery and all of that craziness that wouldn't generally apply to a superstar of that caliber um and i've long held the theory that um when and if the revolution do get a stadium in Boston and become, you know, for that reason, a more appealing destination for international players that then, you know, there's a good chance we'll see, you know, Bob Kraft and Jonathan Kraft open up the checkbook to, to sign a big name player. Um, and, you know, the return on investment then certainly might be better because if, if they do still see their long-term future in the city, 
um, you know, it's more important to, to build up a fan base in the city than build up a fan base in Foxborough by spending now when, when they're there. Um, you know, not a, not a great approach for, for the fans now that want to see them go and do everything right now to win, but I, I do think that it makes more sense, and that, that would not surprise me if that was the mentality of the Crafts, was to, to wait until they do eventually, hopefully, get a stadium in Boston to go out and make that big splash signing. Um, so I, I wonder if that's, you know, part of it. And again, if they had their own stadium, I think they would be a much more appealing destination playing on grass, playing, you know, in the city. Yeah. It might be a Wayne Ruiz type scenario where you, you want to bring in the superstar as you're opening your new stadium. Um, I guess the issue is just who knows when that's going to be, you know? So yeah, we'll, we'll see. I don't think Jeff Cameron is going to bring in any, uh, or Bojan. I don't think they're going to bring in a lot of casual fans, even though that's a big spender. So I, I think, to really tap that potential, it's got to be a huge, huge star, like like you said, Sean. Um, did you have anything to add? No, I, I agree with that. I don't think Cameron or, or Bojan would be the guys that would you know, put them over the top for, for attendance. They would help on the field, certainly, but I, I don't think those would be the big-name signings. And you know, to that point, it's been a while now, but you know, years ago when the Revolution talked about designated players, they said if they were going to spend big money, they would have to be somebody that would you know, move the needle both on and off the field. And, you know, maybe Jeff Cameron does a little bit, um, given his national team experience, but I'm not sure either of those guys, given certainly what Jeff Cameron, we, we discussed this before, what Jeff Cameron was asking for, I don't think either of these guys would move the needle enough to, you know, for Kraft, if he still believes that, to, to justify spending um, that kind of money. Yep. Uh, keeping with the uh, summer transfer window questions, uh, Joe asks, should Burns have had his summer signings already lined up? So, you know, very rearly do you see a, a dearth of summer signings right at the beginning of the transfer window. Um, that I forget who who came out with the I forget who came out with the, the quote that um, the Revolution have two bids out there. Um, but that was uh, Julian, I think. Julian Cardio. So that was that was interesting because um, two bids kind of seems low. To me, and again, I don't know what you're defining as a bid, but I think you need to put out a lot more than, than two bids to make two signings, um, which is probably the minimum of what the Revolution should be trying to do uh, in this window. Um, again, I don't know if you necessarily should have everybody lined up by now, but you should be pretty close to it. Uh, and over the years, we've certainly seen the Revolution of Mike Burns sign guys really, really late in the window, sometimes so late in the window that they barely have a chance to make an impact on the season. Um, so yeah, I would agree that you should get ahead of things and have guys ready to go, um, soon into the window, but, um, I'm not surprised that no signings have been announced yet. I don't think that's unreasonable that it would take a couple weeks to, to finalize things. And the other thing I'll add is that the two bids that are out are international players. So we don't know what they're doing within the MLS, uh, trade wise. Um, so they might be working on more things that we just don't know about, but, um, yeah, I, I agree with everything you said. I, I think I, I know some people are saying this is why we need uh, kind of depth along the defensive line, which they do. They they really are short along the defensive line. They 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 already were uh, at the beginning of the season before they were missing Chris Tierney. So uh, his loss, they're they're one injury away from really being shorthanded there. Um, so, but I, I think you're right. I think they make their moves. They kind of make them in bunches, and they kind of make them towards the end of the transfer window. Uh, it seems like when they make a move, they kind of come in uh, kind of a clutter uh, where it might be they might finalize two signings in back-to-back days or in a week. 
So uh, I think they're probably just feeling out things right now. I think they're kind of giving a little bit more time. Uh, and the other thing, too, is the World Cup just ended. So I think international players are, um, you know, their free agency might have started a little bit later uh, in the summer as opposed to when, uh, you know, the typical domestic leagues end. And, and then I think transfers kind of start a little bit sooner when it's not a World Cup summer. So uh, I, I think they certainly have an idea of where they want to improve. Uh, but I don't expect any signings until the end of the transfer window. So um, it would be nice to get reinforcements now, but uh, I think we still have to see where the chips fall. Yeah, I, I, I'm with you on all of that. And it's a good point with the World Cup that certainly guys that were playing on the World Cup were probably delayed a bit in making decisions. So we got one more question here from Gene Anderson, uh, and this is a good one. This might be my favorite Twitter question so far. Uh, obvi- you can tell Gene was not very happy with the results of last night's game. Uh, he asks... Uh, should I go on the bus trip to Red Bulls next week to see them lose, or should I stay at home and do something that I'll actually enjoy? Thanks. I'll hang up and listen. <laughs> oh, that's a great one. Uh, <laughs> well, long-time listener, first-time caller. <laughs> Gene's tweeted us before. We pre- big fan of Gene. He, he gets one of my shout-outs this week. Well, one thing I will say is that I'm always a fan of going to Red Bull Arena. It's a great place to watch a game. Um, one of my favorite soccer stadiums in the league. Uh, I will not be making this trip. Um, but you know, not, be, not because of what I expect the result to be. Um, with that said, I talked about it a bit earlier. I think that's going to be a very, very difficult game for the Revolution to get anything out of. Um, you know, Going on a long trip to Minnesota for a Wednesday game and then coming back east for a game at Red Bull Arena um, has all the writings of disaster on it. The, the one thing that should give you some hope if you're planning to make that trip uh, is the coaching change with the Red Bulls, and uh, you know we still don't know how that's going to really affect them. Um, but with that said, they did come away with a three to two victory over a very good Sporting Kansas City side at home this weekend. Um, so uh, yeah, yeah, I, I, I don't know. I I will say again that it's it's always great to make a trip to New York because it's a great stadium to see. But you know the Revolution are on short rest coming off a road trip. Uh, the Red Bulls have a full week rest and are a very strong team. I understand if you'd want to save your, your budget for a game that seems more winnable for the Revolution. Yeah, and I mean, it's the only chance you get to go to Red Bull Arena unless they meet in the playoffs this year. So if it's on your bucket list for this season, uh, I think you got to make the trip, Gene. But if not, it seems like you're a little burned out. It seems like you're a little disappointed from the last game. You know, it's, sometimes it's best to just have a week of rest, kind of refuel. Uh, Revs aren't back until August 12th when they play the Union. So, I mean, if you want to just take a little bit of a break and – kind of get back on the horse then, you know, we, we all need a break. We all need to, you know, <laughs> refresh. And I think after a loss like that, it takes a lot out of you. So, yeah, you know, if you want to sit in the recliner and kind of kick back and watch the game on TV, you know what, I I think when you get knocked down, you, you need a mental day, you know, Sean? Yeah, so. I, I, I wouldn't blame you for, for sitting this one out. But uh, there's a bye week after that. So if you you can't get enough soccer, and the World Cup is now open. Congratulations! Is now over. Congratulations to France. Uh, if you're if you're missing out on the soccer, then maybe you want to make that trip. Just given that it's going to be uh, a, a week off for the Revolution, and then another week until they're home again. Yeah, and actually, actually, now that I'm looking at the schedule, I'm kind of debating it because it looks like the Revs have two home games between now. They play August 12th against Philly, and then September 2nd against Portland, and then they do, then September 23rd. So they don't have a lot of home games. So actually, I'm kind of changing my tune. I think they might need you, Gene. You know, you're, you're not going to have a lot of games to go. <laughs> uh, you're not going to have many more games to go to this season. So, uh, yeah, I mean, it's 
well, you know what? Wake up, wake up Saturday or, 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 you know, Friday night, make that decision. It depends on how much energy you got to give it. And you know what? Actually, I'll also say this. Let's see how they do Wednesday. If they win Wednesday, maybe, maybe you get back on the horse and you want to go down. That's, you know. <laughs> gotta gotta wait till Wednesday for me. The, the the only other thing I'll say is if you can make it work, maybe the uh, the trip to make this year is down to DC United on August nineteenth, albeit it's a Sunday, so that makes it worse. But to to see the uh, the brand new Audi Field, which uh, opened up this weekend, it was not a flawless opening. It was a great performance from DC, but uh, word that some pieces of the stadium might have fallen off, and somebody got a reporter, I think, got hit with with something that fell off. So. You know, you talked about the uh, we talked about the dangerousness of RFK Stadium, which they left, and how that was falling apart. The the new stadium seems like it might have had a uh, few hiccups on opening day. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So it's uh, someone uh, I sh- I should know who tweeted this because I want to give them credit, but it was a really good tweet. It was something like, uh, "You can take the team out of RFK, but you can't take RFK out of the team," or something like that. It was it was hit the nail on the head. So with that, let's talk about the Revolution's upcoming schedule quickly. Um, we talked about the Minnesota game um, and the changes that are, are, are going to be the, the Revs are going to be forced to make. Um, what do you think the lineup looks like in that game, and what's your prediction? Uh, we kind of touched on it earlier. I, I think we're going to see kind of a similar lineup. I think either Roe or Agadello plays on the left, and with the other one playing on the right. Um, I don't think Namath comes on. I think Namath is back to where he was at the beginning of the season, uh, where he's kind of in. Uh, I'll call him. I'll cause. I'll say super sub duty, uh, but really it's just to kind of provide a spark at the end of the game. Um, I think Dielna has to push back to the center of the field, and, and then I think you got to put Somi in at left back. I think that's really the only thing you can do. Um, I would not be shocked to see Caldwell in for Zahibo, but it seems like Zahibo has been the preferred uh, defensive midfielder or preferred in that spot uh, to pair with uh, Caicedo um, in recent months. So I wouldn't be shocked. I think I also am just super biased because I want to see Scott Caldwell in the lineup all the time. Uh, so uh, in terms of my prediction of the game, um, this is a real – yesterday was such a real backbreaker. Um, I think they fight for a draw. I think they're actually going to come out swinging. Uh, I, I think they're really going to have a bit of fire, uh, a, a fire under them, and um, I think they know deep down that they played pretty well yesterday, and they really should have come away with all three points and not zero. So uh, I think they are going to come out and try to take it out on Minnesota. Um, but I'm, I'm going to say it's a two-two draw. I think midweek road game, and I think yesterday being a little bit of a backbreaker, I, I think that might bring some spirits down. So I, I think they'll be in it, but I'm going to give them a draw. Yeah, I, I agree with your lineup choices there, so I'm not going to go into that. Um, the one thing I am kind of curious about is who actually is on the bench for this one because um, down three guys to suspension, and of course, Tierney is out for the season. Uh, they're they're going to be thin on players. Um, you know, Is Isaac Anking going to make his, his bench debut? Uh, pro- probably not ready yet, but um, you know, Brian Wright and Femi, I assume, are both going to go, and it, it'll, be, it'll be interesting to, to see who makes up that bench uh, with, with the lack of numbers. Uh, this is a, a, a tough one to me. You know, again, we've talked about you know, in past situations where the Revolution have come off a, a difficult loss. You know, how do they react? You know, one of two ways: they they could curl up and, and suffer another bad loss, or they could you know really be motivated to come out there and, and prove it was just a fluke. Uh, Minnesota United has not impressed me at all this year. Um, one of the worst defenses in the league. They've conceded an average of two goals a game, which is pretty atrocious. Um, they have been better at home than on the road. They are 6-3-1 at home. 
Um, so like most MLS teams, a lot better at home. Only one eight and zero on the road, uh, and they're a team that's on the outside of the playoff picture, looking at ninth, um, six points out of the playoffs right now. Uh, so I don't know about this one. I think the the Revolution have the ability to score against Minnesota, and I think they will. Um, you know, it, without Pania, their offense will lose a bit because I think he's been really key for the Revolution this year. Uh, I'm going to go with a three to two victory. Uh, by Minnesota in this one, and I think you know Somi at left back is going to hurt the Revolution, um, and, and some of the other changes that are going to be forced are going to hurt the Revolution in this one, and just tired legs from from the whole tough week. Um, and since we won't be back on until the Red Bulls game, I don't want to you know jump in till after the Red Bulls game. I don't want to jump in too much into that because there's so many variables that will depend on, on this game. But just quickly, do you see any way the Revolution get a positive result out of that game? I wouldn't be. You know what? I do. I. I, I the, the one thing I will say about this team is that they they haven't played a game where they've felt totally out of it in a long time. Um, I mean, I remember you, you kind of talked about when they get a red card and they seem out of it. Uh, we, we've talked before, I think, after the Columbus game uh, about there are some times when they get down in a game and they, they always seem to fight back. So I don't think this is a team that's easily intimidated anymore or they go in and they kind of expect to kind of grind out a 1-1 draw or a 0-0 draw. I think they come into every single game with the mentality that they're going to win, and I don't think they're going to be scared of the Red Bulls. Um, the Red Bulls are going through a coaching change right now, as you kind of mentioned. We don't know how they're going to reply or, or respond. Um, they're 1-1 one one on the season against the Red Bulls. Uh, I know both those games are at Foxborough, but uh, I, I don't think this is a game they're going to be easily intimidated by. Um, do I think they're going to win? I, I think that's asking a little bit much, but I could certainly see them going on the road and, and fighting for a draw in that game. They should have their full lineup. Um, I I would not be at all surprised to see a, a, a draw against the Red Bulls. Yeah, I, I think that they need to do something positive against Minnesota. Uh, that's a game where they absolutely you know need to get points if they are to be a playoff team. Um, and if they do get points in that game and put in a good performance, I think there's a chance they go into Red Bull Arena with some confidence uh, and can come away with a draw. If they lose that game... Um, you know, I just have trouble seeing them recovering from that. And then after that, they have two weeks off in which, you know, maybe they can turn things around if they, if they struggle. But um, if they suffer another tough loss in Minnesota, I think that game is going to be, you know, really difficult for them to get anything out of. Um, and before we wrap things up here, were there any shout-outs this week or anything that you wanted to touch upon that we, we missed? Uh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> I actually got to give a shout-out to – I don't know if you saw this on the broadcast, Sean, but uh, the Galaxy gave up – when the Galaxy scored their second goal in stoppage time – the camera cut to a Galaxy fan who was celebrating uh, and seemed to be quite obnoxious. And there was a guy in the front row that just turned around and uh, gave him a one-finger salute. So I just want to give a shout-out to that hero uh, <laughs> quieting down the Galaxy fan. <laughs> so uh, that's our that's our hero of the week. Yeah, and there were a lot of uh, – at least a few one-fingered salutes that I saw posted on uh, Twitter aimed at, <laughs> aimed at Zlatan as well. So, so I think there was a, a lot of that going on in the stadium and a lot of frustration. <laughs> uh, but uh, it was – I can only imagine what the third goal looked like if they cut to the same two fans. I'm sure they were brawling after the uh, go-ahead goal by the Galaxy. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was not a happy night for a lot of uh, people in the stadium, whether it was because they – fought through what was some pretty bad traffic uh, for a Revs game, certainly nothing compared to a Patriots game, but one of the, you know, the, some of the worst traffic I've seen ever going to a Revs game to get there only to find Zlatan wasn't playing or to see the epic collapse of the revolution at the end. I don't think many people went home from this match happy. 
<laughs> but uh, ho- hopefully there'll be some good news in the upcoming week for the Revolution um, with their difficult road schedule. We'll be back next week. Uh, make sure you follow us at Revolution Recap. You can follow me at Sean L. Donahue. Uh, Greg, could you give out your Twitter handle? It is at gjohnstone12. And, and of course, you and, and tweet please, from Revolution Recap and, as well. Yeah, and please follow us on our uh, on our neglected Facebook page. We do have a <laughs> Facebook page, and we should start posting on it more, but we don't. But if you follow us there, when we start posting, we, you know, you'll you'll be ready for it. You know what I mean? You know, and if we get enough followers on there, then maybe, oh, we'll, maybe we'll feel it's more worthwhile to post more. Uh, that's a good point. <laughs> if we see a spike in Facebook followers, you know what? We'll we'll post more. We'll post more. <laughs> well, thanks again to everybody for joining us this week. Thanks, Greg, and. Thanks to all of our listeners. We'll be back again next week after two games uh, for the Revolution. So there'll be a lot to discuss again, uh, just as there was a lot to discuss this week from that one game uh, compared to uh, the the dire 0-0 result that we had last week, from which there was only so much you could say. Uh, thanks again. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.